the Dallas show right now. You are there in Dallas enjoying the show. How was your day today at the Dallas show? It was awesome, man. It was awesome. I, uh, you know, I, Jeremy, I'm getting a little bit older, man. So I get, I poop out, you know, I get tired. Um, I, I, you're, you're walking and when you love cards and you're like in that zone, you look down and in nine hours has passed and your feet are hurting. And I, I had a, a blast, man. I had a blast. Uh, it, it's been a fun show. It's been a yeah. really show. That's good to hear. I was, uh, you know, just was on with Tim for a while and thank you for watching. Um, I asked him the same question. I want to get your take on things. What's the vibe like in the room? Uh, here we are at the beginning of 2022 halfway through the first month we've had some we've had a couple of big stories in the hobby obviously um and you know we kicked off the we kicked off the first monday with uh fanatics acquiring top so i want to get your take on that but um you know what what is the vibe in the room how what's your general sense of the the just people's at attitudes towards the hobby right now yeah man first off um it's 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 always buzzing. I mean, since we saw what we saw in you know 2020 when after the pandemic hit, uh, that jump started the hobby in so many ways. And so the enthusiasm is it's still there. It's just amazing to see card shows that are full. You, you know, you're bumping into people. Um, I don't know if you 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 know who Rich Klein is. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Rich bumped into me and uh, he's walking by and I think he thought I was being a little bit rude to him, but I thought somebody was like trying to grab my backpack. He hit me. <laughs> I turned around like, you know, and, and he's kind of like shocked that, uh, you know, um, I turned around so quick, but you know, you never know what, what's going on. And then I see Rich Klein. I don't know. Rich is probably in his, what, he's in his 70s or, uh, yeah, he's been around a long time. And I knew who he was. I'd never met him. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it, it's it's been awesome, man. Um, I love stopping. And uh, I think one thing I learned that I, I try to share with some of these young collectors is uh, stop and, you know, take it in, talk to people, learn from people. Uh, it's easy to, to, to get into head down mode where you're only looking at cards and then you forget that there's a guy behind the table or vice versa. If you're the one selling and you're just focused on those cards and you go by and you miss a lot of really cool conversations. And so, um, I, I, I love, you know, I, I love talking to the dudes selling like, uh, modern Zion stuff. I love going and, and talking to, uh, you know, the old guy who's, only selling like, you know, common 1963 tops ungraded cards. And um, so I think that enriches your experience. And, and uh, I've had a blast, man. It's been fun. Right on. Well, listen, full transparency. You did you did send me an email earlier today with some of your observations and I just pulled it up. So let's go through these because I think these are interesting. And uh, actually, before we do that, let's just let's just. This is a long time coming. Having you on the show, it, like we've been in communication for, I feel like a couple of years now. You've been you've been aware of sports cards live. I believe watching it from early on. Yeah. And uh, and as I've been telling people, you're the one who wrote the song, performed the song, did the video, uh, did all of it. So, um, let me ask you this: How did you how did you come up with the, with that uh, with the song for sports cards live? Because I had nothing to do with it. You, I said, I forget how it even came up, but uh, but 
but you ended up putting together the, the the song. You sent it to me. I said, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Let's go with it. So how did you come up with that? And, and why did you even want to do it? Like, I was so honored that you did. Yeah, yeah, man. I uh, I'm just Jeremy. First off, man, uh, I just want to tell you thanks for having me on. You know, we've we've been wanting to do this for a long time. I've had Internet issues at my house. It's tough for me to stream. We live in the country. We've that's been a battle for us for the longest time. So I'm here in Dallas. That's probably, you know, best because if I tried it at home, we'd be I'd be looking pixelated. And um, but uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I just love what you have been have been doing for the hobby. Um, I think guys like you don't get enough credit. Um, you're giving a voice to so many people. And uh, I just really appreciate that. I think, you know, one reason why I kind of stepped into doing stuff on Instagram is um, I, I want to help build the hobby. I think, um, you know, it hit me. I, I don't know, man, like I guess about a year and a half ago, I've always kind of done some hobby content and stuff. It hit me that, uh, yeah, I was like, you know, if, if some of these guys can do it, I've been, I've been collecting for 30 plus years. Um, I can offer something. And so to see a guy like you, coming out, giving people a, a voice, fostering hobby community. Uh, that helps to build friendships. So I wanted to just be a, be able to be a part of it, man. And, and uh, uh, making music has always been something that I've loved to do. And, and it's something that, you know, comes fairly naturally. So you said something on one of your shows. Um, and you said that the hobby is a lifestyle. And uh and I knew that that was something that you really, you kind of coined that phrase. And I knew that was something that meant something to you. So, uh, yeah, man, I went and I, uh, I built a track and I was like, let's see if I can come up with some stuff that, you know, would fit. And, and, uh, I don't remember, did you have a theme song prior to that? No. What did you do? You just, you had the countdown, right? Did you even have a countdown? Maybe a count. I don't even remember if I did, or if I just hit go live and, uh, all right, here we go. Welcome everybody to episode number. You know, I just sort of did my thing. So I don't, I don't even remember, but, uh, but you know, you've, so you did this, you did the song for sports cards live. You've done a bunch of other songs. I have a few loaded up and ready to go. I want to play because, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know that, I don't know that even when I was looking for them that I found my favorite one you've done, but for, for all everybody watching, if you're not yet following Sean on IG, you can see at the bottom at victory investments, give him a follow. I promise you'll be because you do you do a couple of different styles, excuse me, of posts on IG. You 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 do songs that you write that are hobby centric, but you also educate. You know, you do card profiles, you do videos talking about the importance of certain cards. You love your vintage, you love your important cards, and we'll get more to some of those. But let me just uh let me share the screen here from uh-oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> got away from me these instagram ig on the computer can get away from you right Amen. so we've got a few here that i loaded up no don't play don't play okay here we go i'm gonna bring to share the screen where is it here it is all right so this is uh this is one of your song called uh chasing goats hype song national convention so i hope everyone can hear this i think you can i'm gonna play this here we go Does it need to be louder, Jeremy? I don't know. Oh shoot! Is it hard to hear? Yeah, it sounds. It sounds like it's it's kind of hard to hear. Yeah, I think I know what the problem is. Uh, I I can I can fix that. Uh, 
I'll try and fix that really quickly here and we'll, we'll, we'll play another one. There we go here. This is going to work now. Sorry about that. Let me just do this one more time. So this will work now. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. You know, I've been chasing them goats. You know, I've been looking at messy. You know, I've been buying the dips and dipped in it, dipped in it, dipped in it. You know, I've been hyping the hobby. I'm hyping the hobby, believing the fan. I'm spicy. I like me wasabi. I'm buying a card right now from to Japan. Look at the history. It ain't a mystery. Cards have been better than stocks. But you got to know what to get of my brother. You'll always regret it a lot. I'm about to be real honest, bro. I just bought three Giannis, bro. One was an out of ten Giannis gold. Giannis gold. Giannis gold. Bucks and six in a bottom soul. But I didn't even buy at the bottom. No. Like a Chupacaba, I'll be chasing them go. You can ask my mama, you can find me at the show. Back it in my hand like I'm back in 94. Jose Canseco. <laughs> Mahomes, you know I've been chasing the ghosts, right? Kobe LeBron and the oh my. You know I've been chasing them all night, all night, all night. You know I've been chasing the ghosts, right? Kobe LeBron and the oh my. You know I've been chasing them all night, all night, all night. You know I've been chasing them ghosts, right? We're going to stop that. Okay, there we go. There we go. Yeah, good rhythm, man. It's fun song. So you've got some you've got some some skills. You've got some rhyme skills, no? I appreciate appreciate that, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I you know when you first reached out and said that you cuz we had talked before I ever put out a a song. You reached out and you said, uh, "Man, I, I really like these raps." It I'll be honest, man, it caught me off guard that you were you were interested. You know, you think of, uh, you know, a, a Canadian brother out there. You don't know where they stand. You don't know what kind of music they're listening to. Uh, I got some good some Canadian friends, man, and they're not they're not big rap fans. So I, I was surprised, man, when you you said you liked it. So I, I do them for fun, man. I, I hope that it gives, gives people, you know, a uh, yeah, lighthearted feel like the hobby is supposed to be fun. Obviously, nobody wants to lose money. We we want to make wise investments, but uh, you know, if you're not having fun, you're not gonna you're not gonna stick around. So, uh, yeah, yeah that's, why, sure. that's why I threw down threw down that song, man. Let me ask you this: um, the name of your Instagram account, Victory Investments. What's the story behind having that name, man? So I I actually you know this is this was there's after kind of the whole, you know, flipper game. Everybody is an investment advisor in the sports card world. People with investments started to get kind of a bad name and uh, for for a good reason. But I've had Victory Investments, man, since 2013. And, uh, you know, I, it was just something that I, I kind of, I don't know, man, when I, uh, so I released an album. Uh, I've actually released five albums, and uh, these are not sports card rap albums, but um, one of my albums was called Victory, and that was right around the same time that I was I started my Victory Investments YouTube channel, and I would make uh, the first, I think the first video I ever did, my YouTube channel was doing really well years ago. Now it's like I put something on there, it doesn't get much traction, uh, but I made a... Uh, a video talking about uh, the 1950, the story of the 1952 tops Mickey Mantle. And, uh, uh, you know, victory was my album investments was what I was doing with sports cards, thinking long-term. And uh, that's kind of how it started, man. And so I stuck with it. I opened that uh, Instagram account years and years ago. 
and I didn't do much on it. And then I just, I really started kind of adding more like about 2019. Um, but then, yeah, you, you get people, everyone popping up with that, the name investments, but man, I, I had victory investments before sports card investor ever was a, a thing. Right. And, uh, and I remember when he first came out and I was like, man, somebody's actually talking about cards as investments. Like I've always seen it as that. Um, but I didn't take the, the, uh, the same approach as, as some of the other guys. So, yeah, cause your, your page, your Instagram page, your Instagram account, it's not, the name is almost a little bit misleading because you're not talking about investments. You're, your post and you do some very thoughtful posts where you'll do a story post that can go on for three or four stories yeah. you know with with a lot of text in there explaining a position or giving a general advice to the hobby and it's always such a it's always very constructive and positive and and like you know about the health of the hobby and how to not get maybe it's about not getting burnt out or not following the herd or you know doing what you want to do you, you give great advice. Like how, how much, how important is the hobby in your life? Yeah, I appreciate that, Jeremy. Uh, it's been very, very important, man. It, it occupies a, a bit, a lot of my time. Uh, but it's, it's been something that like, so my first card show I ever went to was in 1990. My grandpa took me to a card show. I was eight years old. I bought a, I had a, I had $11 of yard uh, mowing money to spend. And uh, I ended up, I, I bought the first ever card I bought was a 1968 Tops Hank Aaron. And uh, I, man, I'd had other cards that, you know, I'd either gotten somebody had given to me, but this was the first card I ever bought with my own money. And uh, I bought, uh, I bought it for seven bucks. And uh, I remember I still had $4 left over. I couldn't find anything to buy with the, the other $4. And I ended up, uh, I think I, I bought a hot dog and a, a Coke or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but so that's really where my first love started. And it, it, it's kind of crazy because, you know, I grew up uh, late 80s, early 90s, King Griffey Jr., Bo Jackson, Michael Jordan, uh, you know, all, all those guys. Uh, but I always had this, uh, I, I just remember stories uh that my grandpa would tell me that other people would tell me about these old guys these mickey mantles and uh babe ruth and and hank aarons and so i was always fascinated with the history of it and i would go and read you know um but then uh you get in you get a little bit older in high school i'm uh about 14 15 so in 1996 was when i stopped collecting high school hit you know, you're, you're busy doing the high school life. And, and, uh, so the last cards I remember getting Jeremy were, uh, were Kobe rookies. And I, I remember, you know, he was, he was, uh, had just been drafted and I was a huge MJ guy. If you saw my room as a kid, man, I had, everything was, everything was MJ, Tupac. Uh, it was really just MJ and Tupac. And, uh, you know, um, I remember when when MJ was kind of, you know, on his way out and you see this new guy, Kobe, and I just fell in love with with his game. And I, I was like, man, if, if there's going to be another guy like like uh, MJ, it's going to be this young dude. Uh, so I remember buying some Kobe rookies and I got a Kobe autograph and then, you know, life hit. And that was kind of the end of it. So I didn't get into like the. Uh, I wasn't really collecting when all the nine, late 90s inserts came out. 
So I don't have that same kind of nostalgia and uh, in connection that some of the guys that were collecting at that time. So it, that's been something that I've kind of, you know, gotten a, a little bit more of a, an appreciation for as I'm seeing like the late 90s insert revival happening. And so that's been kind of cool learning that stuff, but that doesn't come naturally to me. What comes naturally to me is like the 96 and, and before. Yeah. Uh, so then I took a bunch of time off. We moved to uh, to Mexico. We were working with a, a ministry down there that built houses for the poor. And uh, so I'm living, you know, on the foreign field. I'm away from home. And, uh, you know, at the time didn't really speak Spanish. So uh, I'm just missing, you know, you're just you're homesick. And uh, I get on eBay one day. It's 2011 now. I get on eBay and uh, I buy a, uh, uh, a King Griffey Jr. 89 upper deck. And this by now they're grading cards. And I got I, I think I bought like a PSA eight. And at that time in 2011, that man, that was like I think I spent like 60 bucks and had to get it shipped into Mexico. And, <laughs> and that was a whole funny thing, too, man, because because the uh, the mail coming into Mexico is uh, it's not I wouldn't necessarily call it um, real reliable. You yeah. know, uh, sometimes your mail guy would come, uh, you know, one week and then you wouldn't see him for three weeks. And then he'd, he'd come, you know, two weeks in a row and then he wouldn't see him for five weeks. So it was, so it was uh, you're taking a risk there. Uh, but, yeah, 2011, I started buying cards on eBay and um, that's what really kind of got me back into it. And, and then obviously, you know, um, it just goes from there. So, well, so you you mentioned, you know, 96 and before because you your your Instagram account, you do these card profiles where you actually like you'll take a card and you will basically provide all the information that somebody might need to 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 know about that card and like and you you use video and you they're just so good like i encourage people check it out i got i got i have sean's instagram streaming on the bottom right now on, on the ticker check it out you did one, my favorite baseball card of all time, 48 Leaf Jackie Robinson. You've done one on the on that card. You've done some extensive work on the Michael Jordan 1984 Star 101 card. And you have a, this is a special card for you, the Star 101. Let's jump in and, and talk about the Star 101 card because it's, his, it's, you know, according to, you know, the official definition it's an xrc it's not his rookie card of course there is debate about that a lot of people figure it's a, it's his rookie card and 86 fleer is a third year or whatever it would be yeah where, where do you stand today on the on the star 101 card and, and and it's you know it's importance but also it's rookie card status yeah so i think it is an extremely overlooked card unbelievably overlooked card um, you know, when you, I was talking to a guy just yesterday about it. I think the pop count of, on that is like, it's like around a thousand or under a thousand that have been graded by BGS. And then you've got a few, very few that have been graded by PSA. I think it is such a, uh, an important card. Now, if, if someone were to say, what's my favorite between an, the 86 Fleer and the 84 star, I wouldn't have an answer. Because I, I truly do love them both. I, I just I think they they go together. You know, for so many years you hear that debate of, 
do you like the 86 Fleer or do you like the 84 Star? And it's like, I, I, don't, I don't even get into that because I just like them both. I love MJ. So, um, yeah, I think it's a very important card. I do think it's his true rookie. Uh, I, I, it's Star was a licensed brand. If if people want to, um, you know, you hear the the if it's not pack pulled, then it's uh, you know not a true rookie. I, I think that there's a there's just a fine line with that uh, because there, there's cards now that are coming out that aren't I wouldn't consider pack pulled that we're calling rookies. Look at like some of these national treasure, uh, you know, where you you buy a you buy a big old box. It comes in a you know a, a, a metal carrying case with you know cards on the inside. Um, and if considering those packs, to me, what does a national treasures case cost? You know, it's what some of these are are twenty thousand, fifteen thousand, ten thousand. The argument with, you know, stuff being pack pulled to be a rookie was that it would be widely available, right? If it was pack pulled, that meant it was available to everyone. I think when you're you're looking at a lot of this, this NT stuff, that's not widely available to everyone in the hobby. But yet we call that a rookie. So I, there's a lot of debate. Um, the 86, I love it. It came out, you know, two years after he'd been in the league. Star was uh, in a. It, they were the only ones producing basketball cards, and they were licensed at the time. So, it's honestly, it's not a hill that I, I want to die on because people have been debating it forever. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's an awesome card. But uh, I love them both. So, well, you know, in talking to you, and I've consulted you on this card because you've got me interested in it. You've influenced me on this card through your card profile and other discussions we've had to the point where for me, I don't own one yet, but you know, I I'm, I'm in the camp of the 86 Fleer is the, is the art is the, is the true rookie card. And this, the star one one is a, is a XRC. I'm comfortable with that for myself, but I'm at the point now where I think they complement each other. It's not one or the other to me. It's like, I'd like to have both. I'd like to pair them together and then I don't need to worry about it. I've got both and they and what I like about the star card is that he's not dunking or shooting he's like defending which you never see Jordan doing on cards so it's a very unique image or portrayal of him on the court it is 2 years older so it's a, it's a it's a younger Michael Jordan in the picture that that I'm interested in I think that's very um that it's alluring for me as well and it's it's a it's got it's it's just got that hobby. It's a hot it's it's a legend in the hobby itself because yeah. of all the discussion about it. So, like you said, it's not it's not a hill you want to die on. And I, I get that. Like you know, the comments about you know when you were saying how you know NT at twenty k or five k whatever is not widely available. I kind of agree with that. Like you can't get you can't get these things everywhere anymore. You can't just go into a a corner store like you used to be able to do in the early nineties in the eighties right. and buy tops baseball or upper deck baseball. You can't, you can't do that anymore. So yeah, there's lots, lots of talk, lots of, lots of points there, lots of uh, debate available, I'm sure. And, um, and uh, I'll look at some comments here about this and we'll move on. I didn't, we don't yeah. spend a lot of time on this, but it is still, it's still definitely an interesting thing. And I know you're, you're passionate about the card itself. Never mind It's status as an RC. You just love the card. So yeah. I think yeah. that's 
worthy of discussing. If, if I were a hundred percent honest, Jeremy, when I was growing up, I didn't like the image uh, of because MJ to me needed to be flying through the air dunking, and so that card. One re I knew what that card was. It was so much harder to find. None of your friends had a star. Your friends did. I did have a few friends that had an '86 Fleer, um, but I didn't like the image because MJ needed to be flying. And so it it wasn't until later on down the road when I really started to kind of look at the card, and I saw it being that image being so much different than all the other ones we see of him. He's a, he's rebounding a ball. It's it's very there's very few of those cards where he's rebounding. So. Anyways, I'll let you get to your comments here. Yeah, a couple of comments. T-Dot says, the market dictates what the rookie is. Fair. Skeppy, the Star 101 Jordan sells for significantly more than the Fleer in equivalent grades. People in general just don't understand enough about Star cards. Yeah, they're just not as widely known and discussed. Yeah. People, the 86 Fleer is on such a pedestal in the hobby now that there's really no taking it down. The Star yeah. card has no chance to take that down. I mean, things change and evolve over time, but right now it doesn't look like the star card is going to get a chance to uh, to take it down. Abdil says uh, NT rookies are briefcase pulls. Yeah, they're not bot pack pulls. They're briefcase <laughs> pulls for sure. Albert Jones, do I have a Wayne a Gretzky sports caster? They're super expensive. I do not. I don't like sports casters. They're just too big for me. Yeah, there. Terry backs me up right there. He knows. Jeremy doesn't like oversized cards. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Uh, Brian Kingsley says star versus Fleer. It's all about rarity and grade in the end. Fair enough. And rock latex, the photo used on the uh, 86 Fleer card was taken from the 8045 season, quite possibly from the same game as the star guys. I didn't know that very cool information. Were you aware of that, Sean? I have, I've heard that. I didn't know that it could possibly be the same game, but I have heard that it was from that, that rookie season. I, I yeah. did have heard that. Yeah. And then Darren says, what about the, the Nike promo card as an RC? Again, to me, that came in a in a, in a shoe box. That came with with shoes. So it wasn't really meant to be a, a sports card. It was more of a, a promo piece, a, oh, an, yeah. Yeah. an insert. So not not a not a card, not even a card to me, because it's just not the right size. But but then I have to explain, well, I do like some mini cards, and you know, you got the tall boys and you got the 50, the 54 <laughs> tops hockey and the 52 tops. Top 50 jobs baseball are oversized so right anyway the conversation keep can keep going on let's uh let's talk about let's talk about something different here what are what are some of your favorite cards uh in the history of the sport of, of the hobby yeah so my my first love is vintage baseball that's really i don't know why i've always just been been fascinated with it in specific I love the the old painted cards, like the ones that were hand hand drawn. So like 30s, 40s, and early 50s. Once they started change, like when Ch Top started changing in in 57, when it was an actual photo and it wasn't a, a painted uh, image, um, that's when I kind of kind of cut off. I don't really get into a lot of the stuff after like 57 started. Um, so that's kind of my first love. I always go back to vintage baseball. Um, Jackie Robinson, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth. Those are my my three. Um, I love Lou Gehrig. Uh, but then MJ, uh, you know, Jordan stuff like the Jordan uh, Jordan rookies. Um, I'm getting a little bit more into to Jordan inserts uh, and then anything Patrick Mahomes. 
So those are kind of, I, I stick pretty closely to those. That being said, I have every, you know, major rookie from the eighties and nineties and stuff that I collected. And, and most of that stuff, I don't even grade. I just, you know, keep it in a, a giant shoe box. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's evident from your Instagram account too, because you do go into depth on, on these vintage cards, which, which I love for sure. Uh, Jordan Hudson says, what are your thoughts on, on non-sports cards, like famous people? Yeah, I think they're, I think that's a great area of cardboard. I personally am dabbling in it myself. Uh, Daniel uh, saw my interview the other night. Glad I got into Brady's. Yeah, I'm doing some Brady uh, game worn patch cards. I think are pretty cool. Backyard break says my favorite rookie cards are Trevor Lawrence. Good, good, good. Mark says uh, the 50s to about 59. I think he's asking you about kind of your uh, your target uh, years there. Yeah, yeah. No, I I like uh, you know when it comes to I, I like 58, 59 um more than 57 but yeah 56 tops when i when it's baseball is where i kind of stop i don't go really beyond that just with my personal preference on stuff um yeah so i, I like this stuff like this jeremy um here i do have a couple of cards out well this is an older this is a leaf leaf so this is a a leaf babe ruth um so you know when it when it's a not a photo but there's just the bright colors, you know, we, with all the new stuff, the refractors, we, we call it color. They have color, you know, the blues, the reds and everything. This is like color to me, yeah. uh, you know, when they've got, uh, and then you, you put it, you know, next to, a, you know, another one with color and uh, yeah, that's, that's what, what I love. I love stuff like that, man. That's so. just an amazing, that 48 leaf set is uh unbelievable I, I i love both of those cards is that the last is that babe ruth's last uh last card like last playing days not playing days but last official card yeah yeah so he you know he passed away in 48 and this it it officially is 48 leaf um but you know there are people that think that these may have been printed in 49 but this is his last official while he was alive um baseball card so yeah, it's a little bit different. He, there's, you know, there's like the 61 Fleer that came out. And then there's the 52 Tops uh, Babe Ruth, which is, those are cool cards too. And those are still really old cards. Yeah. But obviously when a guy's alive, you know, that it makes it a little bit more special. So yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. So we did have a few sort of topics to discuss tonight. And uh, so let's let's jump into, let's jump into one of them that we were talking about the other day which was competition in the hobby. People are, you know, we're showing our cards more now, really Instagram, Facebook groups, YouTube, you know. What, when you think of competition in the hobby, what, what, what comes into your mind in that context? Yeah, uh, man, I think that, uh, I think there's healthy competition and then I think there's unhealthy competition in the hobby. You know, I, I think there's some stuff that, uh, you know, I, I'll put it this way. If I was a young guy getting, you know, coming into the hobby and I had limited funds, which all of us have limited resources, but some of us have been in it longer, you know, and so we've been able to build up collections, build up, you know, the resources to be able to get certain things. If I were to come in, and I'm, you know, a, a, a young kid or, you know, I'm a, um, 
you know, somebody that's just new to it. And I'm seeing, you know, the, the guys, the shine one fifties that are dropping, you know, a, a million here, a million there on cards. And then I, you know, I'm seeing how celebrated they are within the hobby. Uh, and then that's kind of seen as like hobby success or that's the cool thing. That's the thing to aspire to in the hobby, man. It, it would be really tough to want to keep going when, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just starting off. And so I think that, uh, it, it can be, it can be healthy in that you see stuff, you see people that have worked their way to collections through the years. And, uh, um, it, in that way, I think it's awesome. You know, I think there's a, a lot to be, to be said, you see, you see, you pick something up and it's like, Hey, that's, that's cool. I, I didn't even know about that card. Now I'm interested in it and I don't want to go after it. But, um, yeah, man, I, I think that, uh, with anything with social media and Instagram, uh, or, or whatever the platform, um, ego can come in there and, uh, and it, it can, it can do more harm than good a lot of times too. So, yeah, because a lot there there are a lot of there's a lot of flexing that goes on on Instagram, and so you have you know there's two ways to look at it. One one is like oh that this guy's flexing, but then you who says that could go post your right. whatever your second year upper deck Griffey card in a PSA eight and show that off. Well, why why can't if you want to show the cards you love and they're worth eight bucks, why can't the guy who collects $80,000 cards show those cards off. Why is that all of a sudden, you know, the kind of look down upon and like, should, should these people just not share their cards instead, not be part of the Instagram. And by these people, I mean the ones with the big, big cards, should they not be sharing their cards for fear, for fear of alienating people or making people feel inferior. It's a, it's a tough balance there. So what do you think of that? Yeah. So I think, man, for one, collectors are smart people. And so if you're if you're in the hobby, you can tell the difference between when somebody is like flexing to just to flex and when someone um, is doing it for the love, the love of it. And um, so I think it's yeah, it, it's easy to tell the difference. And I can see when guys post big cards. Um, you can kind of tell what their motivation is uh, a lot of times. And um, but, yeah, no, I don't think if you've got the means to be able to buy certain cards, I think you should feel the freedom to be able to share them off. That's what's that's what's fun. You know, um, I, I think it's just uh, um, when that the competition gets in and, and, you know, a lot of times competition can be within your own mind, you know. And, and so uh, I may post a card, show a card. And I'm not thinking anything of it, but then all of a sudden somebody else is like, oh man, I, I guess I don't measure up because I don't have that. Or I look at like, um, you know, Josh at Cardboard Chronicles and he posts a huge, you know, LeBron card. And I'm like, goodness, what it makes my, some of my stuff look so small. Um, and a lot of that's just in your own mind. Um, but uh, no, I, I think, yeah, and I, I know you don't, post a lot of your cards uh, or share a lot of your cards. I know you've got a, an awesome collection. You should have the freedom to be able to, to share those. And, and uh, you know, when you can tell people's character and, uh, you know, you can tell if someone is uh, being uh, uh, flexing or if they're just, you know, wanting to share something that, that means something to them. So, yeah, 
I want to bring up this comment by uh, by uh, Backyard Breaks Fanboy. says, I have no problem with flexing if you are a PC guy. If you flex on things you plan to flip the next week, it's a joke because you probably had to flip the stuff you just flexed a week ago for this. <laughs> yeah, I mean... But T dot says, I feel that way when I drive my sports car. Why should I? that's a good point? Like it does, it's not just cards. It's, you know, you drive down the street in your, in your Porsche or whatever it might be, your Bentley, you know, are, are you flexing? I mean, Hey, we, different people have different levels of resources and whatever your whatever you like to spend your money on all the power to you. But back to the Instagram side of things, what then is the message that 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 and there are people who send this message on Instagram and you're one of them I think to not it's almost to balance it out because we don't want people to come into the hobby and feel like I'm just so far behind I'm not even going to bother no you just got to start collect what what you can afford and what you like within that within that range of cards and and try to build up over time if that's what you want to do so what's the message we should be sending to hobbyists who are either newer in the hobby or just don't have the financial resources that that some people who are more established uh, do have yeah I, I think it starts with um having fun you know doing it because you enjoy it and, and then it can it can it can escalate from there on but um i think one thing is uh that can help in that area is i love to uh I wish that there was somebody older when I was younger that would have kind of taken me under their wing and just shared with me stuff about cards, shared with me, you know, a little bit about, um, you know, how to grade stuff or what's important or, or even just someone uh, that I could ask questions to. And so, um, you know, I, I know you probably get a lot of questions that people are asking you your advice on stuff. And I know I get a good amount of questions and, and, and a lot of times they're younger guys. And so they, it, it's easy to get discouraged if you don't feel like you know what to do. And uh, so I try, yeah, I try to, uh, to help people. And, and, uh, um, and then there's always people that I'm asking questions to all the time, you know, and, and so nobody knows it all. So I think if, yeah, if you're in it for the right reasons, people can tell. And, and, um, and that's, you know, when I post a card to Jeremy, I, I like to post why I bought it um and give a little bit of a backstory but that's just you know that's the collector in me um why it's an important card uh what i was thinking kind of when i bought it and stuff and then hopefully um you know that shows that i'm not just trying to show off and and uh because there's all there's always somebody that's going to have a better card than you unless you're you know the very few the nat turners but who knows? Some sheik could could get in and just buy, you know, start buying up uh, all that stuff. You, you never know on that. Yeah. So, but well, speaking of flexing, Papino Man has a really good comment here. He says, "Only flexing I do is in front of the mirror before I shower. You have to respect everyone's personal collection." Obviously, the first part's funny, but the second part is 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 very very astute, very important. You have to respect everyone's personal collection. I think that that that's a great uh, message for everybody, right? Don't let's not hate on what people are collecting if they're if they're truly collecting it. And, and here, uh, I want to add something to that, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. There are guys that I know that are of ex extreme extreme net worth that could come in and buy whatever they want that collect dollar box cards. And so you know you can't you can't uh, 
look at the whole picture. There are guys that that I know that own jets that love to to go through the five dollar boxes at card shows. So um, yeah, it, you you can't even tell the whole picture by just by what people you know people uh, post or, or what they collect. So yeah, it's true. You, you, it's true. It's like when you're set up at a card show. If you're a vendor at a card show, and somebody comes up to your booth. I've, I always practice the, like, just treat everybody like they got a million bucks in their pocket ready to spend because you never know who you're talking to. You don't know what their resources are based on how they dress. A lot of people who are very wealthy just don't want to flaunt it, and they dress very average. And so if you're if you're set up at a card show or you're talking to somebody, never assume that they're that they don't have resources or that they or that they that they have resources either. The person who walks up with the uh, person who walks up in the suit with a Rolex might be leveraged to the hilt at the bank, right? Yeah. So you just don't know. <laughs> That's right. Uh, D Cabral says he's up for adoption. First of all, Sean, and I uh, says all cards are relevant. You like who you like and collect what you want. Everyone starts somewhere. Very, That's- very true. Very true. Good, good post by D Cabral. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to. I, I mentioned earlier. I forgot to come back to it, but you did. You did uh, send me some observations from the Dallas show today. So I have them up on my other screen here. You said. You said that uh, basketball is, and you 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 preface it by saying you talk to a bunch of people to yes. kind of get some ideas. So basketball as a whole seems to be much more flat, especially the two thousands to ultra modern hobby basketball fatigue. You think you think we're we're in that in that area right now or we're at that point right now where there is hobby basketball fatigue because basketball went from being you know the second or third most popular sport in the hobby to number one seemingly overnight seemingly once once the 2018 prism came out basketball soared past baseball so what do you make of this uh potential hobby basketball fatigue just that you know i i like i said i i walked around and i talked to um a lot of people that have different presence in the hobby, different influencers, and kind of tried to put together all, you know, their different thoughts. Um, but yeah, a couple guys that I really do respect that, that do a lot in basketball said they just were feeling like, yeah, it just feels like it's just kind of flat. People aren't really interested. Um, I, I think they did mention that there's a feeling that there's still some of the the overlap from people buying in really high back at the peak that are still holding on for those card prices to return. And so the buyers aren't wanting to stretch up to those peak prices, but the sellers aren't wanting to go down because they do have so much in those cards. Um, I think there's definitely exceptions because there are, there were definitely cards that were moving. There were sales that were being, being made, but I think just as an overall picture, um, yeah, 2000s into, uh, especially as you get closer to the more modern stuff. Um, now, Jaw, I, I think people were saying that Jaw was was doing really well. Um, I don't think he's even near back up to his highs that he was at, you know, back at the peak, but people were wanting Jaw Morant stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, but, you know, we also do see, um, we see these these different seasons where, it's it's always like that. So I don't know if the seasons are kind of changing as the hobby 
kind of evolves or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but um, yeah, it, I guess that's just kind of what they were feeling like stuff that they thought was going to really be hot or was going to move or they're going to be able to trade or, or whatever was just kind of sitting. So, yeah. uh, but that wasn't my personal experience because I was doing mostly vintage baseball stuff and that was a little bit different. So yeah, we'll get to that in just a sec. Cause you know, when I think about the modern basketball <laughs> and I think about, you know, the, the prism, rookie be, being kind of the one that's mostly accessible. Um, and I don't know if this has anything to do with the fatigue or not, but I, and maybe it's just me, the, de, you know, I, I think back to the, this 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, when the designs changed radically, radically from year to year. I remember I couldn't wait to open that first pack to see what they looked like each year. Cause you knew that they were going to look nothing like the year before. Yeah. When it comes to prism, the brand is really built on that prism look, which maybe, which I, maybe that's what it is. The prism look. So the design doesn't change that much from year to year. You've basically got the same kind of silvery borders with just, a, just with different kind of angles and stuff, uh, you know, applied. So I could see that being a little fatigue and that there's just, you know, even the, the, the parallels from year to year, uh, is it that exciting to, to keep on collecting them? I don't know. It's not, it's not, it's not in my wheelhouse. So I don't want to speak for the collectors or the people who do sort of specialize in that area. But I wonder if that has a bit to do with it, or if it's just based simply on the market and how we had that Q1 bubble early, you know, a year ago right now, basically. And people are just tired of having to continually watch the market be so volatile on the on these modern day cars and of course they're volatile these players are playing the yeah. car can, can can dip in value 50 percent one night or go up and or double overnight because of a performance so you have to have the stomach for that and i feel like and i, I this might be a generalization but i feel like um older collectors maybe don't have the stomach for that as much as they might have when they were younger and maybe you see you more younger people in that area. And they also, these are the players that they're watching where guys like you and I, who we're not in our twenties anymore in our forties, right. We're more, maybe a little bit looking for that more, uh, just that less volatility. My forties. I'm close. I'm close. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. My bad. (laughs) Calling you older than you are. So let's talk about vintage baseball. Cause another thing you wrote to me was that thirties, forties and fifties baseball is hot. So, what were you and this is this is in your wheelhouse. So um, along with a quest, along with talking to that and kind of, you know, what what people were telling you that led you to believe that 30s, 40s, 50s baseball is hot. Did you pick up any cards today and anything you can show us? Besides I did. The you just did? I, I picked up I picked up one card today. Um, I actually uh, I let go of quite a few cards yesterday in hopes to be able to get a card today. So I did pick up a card that I, I was hoping to be able to get. Um, so that was super cool. But uh, so for once, for one, Dallas is not the hotbed for vintage cards by any stretch of the imagination. I think it really is a basketball kind of first um, and football. Actually, football was pretty hot, too. Um, and so we can talk about that also. But um, as far as like vintage uh, dealers there, there aren't really a lot. There's really like four or five out of the whole thing that I would say that really specialize in kind of those thirties, forties, fifties, and then the more special cards that I would be looking at. Um, but of those, those guys are always busy. 
they're just they're it's it's hard to even get in and really talk to them. You almost have to wait kind of in line because they they've always got somebody there that they're dealing with. Um, so you know, I talked to a lot of young guys that were our young basketball, you know, Kobe, LeBron, MJ guys that are like, man, I, I would love to kind of move in that direction, but I I don't I still am not really to you and I that grew up, you know, with vintage uh, and we've had the, uh, some time to be able to kind of figure it out. And, um, I don't, I didn't realize that it's a, to the modern collector, uh, who that was their entry point was this new stuff that, uh, it's actually kind of overwhelming for them. They don't really understand how to, you know, a, a PSA one can fluctuate greatly. you got one that looks like a truck ran over it and the guy spit some tobacco on it and, and then you've got another one that looks really good, but then on the back, it's got paper loss and, uh, you know, one's got a, a pinhole. And and so so there's just so many very variations that they uh, I guess it is kind of overwhelming to think, how can I get in there and not uh, lose money doing it? But they're interested. They just want to they want to be able to learn. So. I saw that. But yeah, I mean, I saw tons of big deals going down with with vintage vintage in, in general, uh, because I saw some big like Wilt Chamberlain rookies move in some Bill Russell stuff. Um, I think that the modern basketball guys are kind of like starting to look back at the the vintage basketball. And I, I saw I, I I'm seeing that, too. And that's something I'm kind of wanting to get a little bit excited about also is is. Because I haven't owned a lot of that old, you know, like the old Wilt stuff and Kareem. And um, so, but yeah, that, that uh, there were a lot of big deals going on. And, uh, and I did see, you know, when I'm standing there talking to these vintage guys, I'm seeing young kids coming up and they're wanting to buy a Hank Aaron rookie. And, and uh, I, I think as the, as the hobby matures, um, these cards that you and I know that have been, steadfast and have been proven for many, many years, years longer than you and I have been collecting. People have wanted them and desired them. And that still remains true today. So I think these maturing younger collectors will start to look back. Um, And then obviously um, when you see a lot of stuff on social media over and over and over and over and over again, that's where that kind of that hobby fatigue comes in. And, and so uh, when you see stuff that you don't normally see, whether it's a, a really cool old vintage card or it's a, you know, a, um, the MJ patch auto or something, uh, something rare. Uh, it doesn't even have to be an MJ. It can be whatever. Um, those are the things I think people are starting to kind of look, look at a little bit more. I think it's a natural progression too, right? When you come in the hobby, you start with who you're watching and then you start to maybe get fatigued with it or you just if you're really into collecting, you want to go back in time and uh, and see what else there is. And especially if you come in with that, you know, a bit of that investor investor mentality, which I think most people have some of that in their mind, if not a lot. Uh, it just it just sort of makes sense to, to look back and look at the all time greats, the goats, the Hall of Famers and. And add some of them to your to your collection. So it's uh it's nice to hear that vintage isn't being forgotten and that it's not just all about this modern stuff. And uh because eventually this modern stuff will be vintage or or something. It'll be old at least. We'll see what we call it. But 
and and maybe then depending on what players are significant 20 30 40 50 years down the road we'll be uh we'll be looking at back to the 2010s and all the different prison basketballs for example and yeah. uh picking out the few guys who really stood the test of time and there yeah. will only be a handful of them and jeremy i i love i love sports cards across the board so as much as like vintage ba- baseball is kind of my you know my first love in sports cards dude i i love a lot of these prism cards i think there's some really sweet new stuff in fact as these prices start to go down i'm thinking as a collector it'd be kind of cool you know now like a, a luca prism silver is not i mean those tens got to i think over 10k and now they're like 27 28 2900 so those are kind of cool it's like that prism silver is always going to be a special card of Lucas, whether the pop is high or not, it's a, it's a cool card. So I'm thinking, man, that now where the prices are, I may, I may want to buy in and and start a a prism silver run of some of these guys uh, just to have long-term. So um, yeah, I, I I love cards across the board, man. Um, But uh, yeah, but we're cut cut from the same cloth that way. Yeah. Uh, I want to go to this question here from Mark. He says, what does Sean think about multiplayer rookies? Example, uh, Nolan Ryan and Jerry Koosman. I love, I love, I love the question because they're rampant in baseball in the, in the sixties and the seventies and even into the eighties, I suppose. So the, the, the Nolan Ryan's a great example. There's, there's many more The Pete Rose is a big example for players. But yeah. What do you think about, about multiplayer rookie cards? They annoy me, man. They just, they have always annoyed me. Obviously the, the Nolan Ryan rookie is a, a iconic, it's a, it's a, an awesome card. And to, for a true baseball collector, it needs to be in your collection, but the Kuzman being on there just annoys. It's just, it's the same as the Pete Rose rookie, that tiny little head of Pete. And, uh, you know, you've got the three other guys and, uh, yeah, multiplayer rookies, especially with now, on the Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Dr. J, I love that card because you have three stars on there. But when yeah. you've got one star uh, who's a Hall of Famer and then one guy that, you know, did his career didn't pan out, it, I, I always, I, I just don't personally like him. But yeah, uh, but like that card is an awesome card. Like I couldn't tell you who's paired with Johnny Bench or, uh, or Rod Carew or Carlton Fisk or... Uh, Mike Schmidt. I mean, all these guys are are paired up with other Gary Carter and seventy five tops. Is doesn't Paul Molitor? All these guys don't have their own cards, but it really makes those second year cards pretty cool. I really like a lot of those second year cards, like the Nolan Ryan set. The this was the sixty nine Nolan Ryan is a is a beautiful card. The sixty four Pete Rose yeah, is an yeah. amazing card. Like I have I have the rookie, but I also have that card because I think it's just a spectacular looking card. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Okay, a couple more comments here. Uh, Jonathan Allen says, uh, wait, was this one I wanted? Yeah, can't help but think that a lot of what's being bought and sold now will end up being junk in the long run. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt that, uh, you know, whether it's a lot of it or some of it or a bit, but, but a portion of it is definitely going to be junk in the long run. No doubt about it. Uh, Mark says, when you're at a card show, do the majority of people have interest in cards of the 30s and 40s or are most people into the 70s and 80s? And I'm not sure why Mark is only looking at those four 
decades. But do you want to? I mean, from my perspective, it's uh, it, it's more from well, and I'm usually doing hockey stuff. It's mostly '80s versus anything else. Uh, if it's not the twenty, the two thousands. But what about from what you're seeing? Uh, and even this weekend in Dallas with uh, in in the world of baseball, basketball, and football. Yeah, yeah. So um, with uh, with baseball, uh, in all honesty, I like 30s and 40s, but I wouldn't say that's what most people are looking at. I would say with with baseball, it's 50s. Um, they're really looking at 50s top stuff. Um, I, I love the the little bit earlier than that. But for baseball, 50s and 60s. For football. Probably, I mean, it's just across the board. If we're talking vintage um, uh, basketball, obviously there's, uh, I don't know, there wasn't a lot in the 70s that people are real excited about. Um, you've got 80s stuff, but um, yeah, I, I, you, you always see 80s baseball, but um, there was so much of that, especially as you got, you know, further along in the, you know, late 80s. Um, there's not, there not doesn't seem to be a lot of people looking for that. I think they most if you're a collector, you probably already have a lot of that 80s and 90s stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Unless you're just getting in, and then then you got to figure out where to start. Alan says if they stop making cards today, we still have over a century of backlog to collect. Right, and that's that was my biggest point when it, when the whole fanatics thing came about acquiring tops and even acquiring the light. Well, actually acquiring the licenses. No matter what they do, if you don't like what they're going to do, you've still got, and, and especially when it came to the whole distribution and what's going to happen to to the distributors, to the LCSs, to the breakers. Are you going to be able to get the stuff in shops? What are the what are the LCSs going to do? Well, they still have over a over a century worth of of bought a body of work over a century to deal with. So, good comment by by Alan right there, Mark Doctor J, a key seventies basketball rookie for sure. Uh, Backyard Breaks fanboy says, I'm with this guy. I would rather get the second year tops cup card than the small head rookies. So it just depends. Do you need that rookie card in your collection? Or because for me, I kind of do in a lot of cases when it comes to vintage. But in certain cases, I'll grab the second year card too, because I just think it's worthy and I love it. It's just so much fun to look at. Colin Murray says, Koosman fans hate the Ryan too. So <laughs> it goes both ways, I guess, right? goes both ways on these multiplayer cards rock latex the great thing about multiplayer rookie cards is that it reminds us how rare it is for a talent to be generational fair comment fair comment game time gallery like like second year cards not the two to four player rookie cards yeah yeah so a bunch of a bunch of people there joe perot says uh ron i don't know how to say it do you know how to say it ron say c k yeah, yeah i think i yeah, I, I never actually knew, to be honest. Don't get me starting to have to pronounce our, was it Ron Stabler, Stabler? I never can, and, and Joe's tried to teach me how to pronounce it. I can never get it right. Okay, the next thing you, go ahead. I just got a, a message from somebody, and I want to, uh, um, I want to give a shout out to Peter Pacman. I think he's probably watching this. Uh, he, uh, you know, as I think about it, he really was, you know, him doing his music really kind of gave me that extra like, you know what, I should do I should do some some hobby music. And uh, so I, I want to give a shout out to him. Him and I have connected. He's an awesome guy. I know you've had him on your show. Um, 
I, I've called him so many times. I call him a hobby pioneer. And uh, I just want to give him a, a shout out for kind of what he's done. He really blazed that path. And um, I know he just kind of has gotten into to rapping in, in like the last couple of years. And I've obviously done it for quite a while, but uh, I probably never would have done it if he wouldn't have, uh, um, you know, started it for the hobby. And so, I, yeah, I, I do. I want to give a shout out to him because I think he, uh, yeah, he's definitely kind of blazed a, a, a trail, man. So anyways, you can get back to the, the question. I want to give yeah. him a shout though. No, all good. A well-deserved shout out for Peter and for Peter Pac-Man, for uh, Slabby Sosa and Rip Hamiltops, the whole yeah. the whole RPS crew. They're, they're, they're a great group of guys. I had a great time meeting two of the three at the National and spending some time with those dudes. So definitely. Okay. You also, you also kind of realized at the show today in Dallas that rare 90s basketball inserts are still hot. And then you put because people actually collect them, not just flip them. So this is what I think is real this is such a key point right like every card ultimately needs a home it, it needs that end user it needs that collector collectors are the foundation of the hobby if, if, if it's the same people flipping cards to each other it's going to be it's just a game of hot potato at that point so so is that really what what the the vibe or people you talk to were, were really overtly saying this that it just seems like people are looking back to the the more collectible cards versus the I don't know. Are they, are we comparing them to like the commodity cards The uh, we always pick on the base prism, but is it kind of like the base prism is people just don't care so much anymore. And they're, they're looking now to go back to what is more collectible. And it just seems like nineties inserts. And I mean, I'm a huge fan, so I don't mind hearing this, but they're hot and people collect them. They, once some people have them in hand, myself included, you they're, they're off the market completely. So, yeah. Is that the is that the sense you were getting and you want yeah. to speak to it? I, I would even echo like what um you know I've heard Josh at Cardboard Chronicles say this. He'll say that a card ultimately is really only worth what a collector will pay for it in the end to keep it in their collection. And so I think that we're seeing that, you know. Um I was talking to uh to Sasha T today. And Sasha said that um, he can see some parallels between what's going on with some of these modern cards and like the, the NFT thing right now. There are very few people within NFTs that want to keep them and hold them long term that see, you know, a, a value beyond being able to sell it to somebody else for more. And so I think we are seeing that in some cards. But then there are other cards that are... Um, being snatched up by collectors because of their importance. And then those, the, the value of those are much more solidified, you know, than ones where um, it's just kind of who can pass it on to the next guy. So. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, it, it makes sense. And I think a lot, you know, we've heard, you know, we've lost people in the hobby because they came in at the, at the, at the height and now their cars have gone down in value and uh and they just it's it's like it's hard it's not their fault you know i think a lot of the time they just didn't know they got caught up in all the excitement you know in the hype there's a lot of hype on that stuff right a lot of hype on luca rookies and Giannis rookies and not that they're bad cards or well some of them are just because of the, the the sheer quantity of them out there but not bad but just over uh 
not even over. There's just lots of them available. So they become less desired. It's a supply and it's simple supply and demand at that point. So it's, it, I don't know. I like to hear that. And it comes back to, you know, that people are refining their approach and they're looking for other pathways instead of just buying this year's rookie crop because this year's rookie crop will never, except for a few, you know, except, except for the, except for the exceptions, which are the, the generational type players, they will never sell for as much as they're selling for today. And that goes every year. You can say that at any, in any year in history, basically that that's when they sell for the most, except for the, the guys who are truly, uh, you know, above out. Well, the superstars, if you will. So yeah. you also said that football is hot. Joe Burrow cards are doing well. Josh Allen, Mahomes, Brady, nothing earth shattering. There seems pretty normal. We're, we're right at that time, right? We're a couple of weeks away from the Super Bowl. So, so is, they're hot, but is that the time to sell or the, t- the time to buy or the time to sell? If you're a collector, to me, it's the time to buy. And uh, especially like, you know, this time of year, now you're going to probably pay a little more initially, but I've got some of my, my favorite Mahomes cards right before the playoff run. And because people don't let go of them until this time. And so I'm looking, you know, a lot of times for cards that I don't see the rest of the year because they're keeping them back because they want to sell when it's hot. But then that's also when, you know, they, they're letting go of cards that they probably wouldn't let it, let go. Um, but in, in most cases, it's probably not the best time to be buying because the prices are going to go way up in anticipation of what could be. And then, even if someone does really well, they cool off and then back before the season starts, they kind of start going back up again. Um, so I would not be a huge uh, Joe Burrow buyer right now. I wouldn't be a huge Josh Allen buyer um, unless I was a diehard Bills fan and or if I had a long term kind of goal that this is my PC player. Uh, and so but yeah, I, I think that anticipation hype isn't always the best time to buy. So not with the Super Bowl around the corner, because every, you know, there's a lot of value baked in based on they're going to win the Super Bowl. And only one of those guys is going to win the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> you know, just play the odds at that point or just wait till the off season. You will probably find unless unless there's, a, you know, the, unless there's an, another uh, last answer pandemic, um, you know, you're, you're likely to find a better time to buy if you can be a little bit patient i i would think well that's not i'm not giving that advice i'm just saying how i would approach it or what i what i think would happen um you said that quite a few deal and this this one does not this one won't surprise anybody but this is one of the observations that you were you got at the show today was that quite a few dealers are in their cards at peak level prices and that stuff is not moving so two you know two things those see those dealers I want to ask, I want to dig deeper into this, into this point, because a lot of times we'll hear about a show and you'll hear that, ah, nothing's moving. No one's buying. You know, it it was, it was, I had a bad show. So the hobby's, the hobby's not doing so well. Right. So is it because like, is it because their cards aren't selling and is it because their cards aren't selling because they're into them for a hundred and they don't want to sell them for today's price of 50, which I understand who wants to lock in that loss. But that's a, that, that doesn't, that is, that is the, that perspective is not um, apply. does not apply to the whole hobby. It only applies to people who bought cards in really 
in Q1 of 2021. That was the worst time to be buying cards. So, you know, compared to now, uh, as far as value goes. So I, my, my concern is that those dealers who are sitting on inventory that they purchased in Q1 2021, and they're not selling them because they can't get their dollar because the market's not there. Are they, are they exuding a negative vibe out into the room or are they just saying, well, you know, I, I kind of bought at the wrong time. So I'm going to live and learn and maybe make better decisions or different decisions moving forward. What are your, how do you, what do you say about that? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a few different things going on. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, some of the guys that are just, they're not one to budge on prices. I think that's probably, that could be discouraging, but then, you know, um, I was talking to a couple other guys today that were saying that, um, you know, stuff doesn't seem to be moving. And um, I reminded them that the Dallas card show may, you know, it may not be, it's obviously it's not the whole picture of what's going on in the hobby. And I shared with them when I set up at the the show, I think it was March of last year or May of last year. um, And it just seemed like nothing was moving and I was like, oh, my goodness, the hobby is it's dead, <laughs> you know. Um, but then you you go back to wherever you're from and you're you go to a different card show and the scene is completely different. And so you just it. And, and you know, I was telling guys when, before I came to Dallas, this show, um, I did a little poll on my Instagram. And I think maybe like 17 percent of the people that I polled were actually going to the Dallas card show. So. I don't think it's a perfect picture of what the hobby is. You know, each, you know, each card shows got a different theme and a different kind of what people are going after. And so, um, yeah, it's not a perfect picture, but yeah, I think guys, you know, what I noticed this time is similar to what I remember from being a kid. It's like the hot, the old school hobby mindset is kind of creeping back in where the dealer, I remember, uh, when you would go to sell cards as a kid, the dealer would would give you offer fifty percent of book price. You know, you'd go and your card is a hundred bucks, and the most he's going to offer you is fifty bucks. I'm seeing some dealers that are coming back in with that mindset. In fact, I had a guy that um, I was showing some cards to him, and uh, he offered. He said, uh, "We'll just let me see every. I want to buy your whole your entire collection." at 55% of what the most recent comp was. And I go, dude, I could do a lot better than that just by throwing it on eBay. You know, I'm only going to pay what, like 13%. And <laughs> so, um, you know, it, 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 I could see that. But then when I was asking him prices on his cards that he had listed out there, they were like 115% of whatever the, the recent comp was. So, you know, uh, thousand uh, dollar card he was wanting 1254 um so you, you see that um and uh, uh i don't know man but but then you've got you've got fair dealers and you've got every every little everybody every everyone is represented so yeah good um younger collectors are wanting to mature into vintage proven cards so is this something you observed or people were you know this came about in conversations as, as you were soliciting opinions from the room yeah, I, I, I talked to quite a, a bit of people that were, were saying, man, I, I would love, they're showing me 10 different cards that were popular, you know, um, within the last year or so. 
but they don't, they're not fully convinced that they are going to be cards that 10 years from now are going to have importance to them. And so they're looking at their cards and they're seeing a lot of different variations and, you know, um, gold cards were soup are still very hot. People, people love gold cards. Um, but one convo I, I did have was about how, um, there are so many gold cards, uh, of different players. Not everyone knows which one is going to be the one that's the most important when, you know, I love Kobe Bryant. Uh, and I think I, there's not a gold card of Kobe Bryant that I don't think is cool. But there's so many of them that I don't know if I could only have one. I don't really know which one I would want. Um, and I think so guys are looking at stuff and they're like, um, I whatever the card is, I want the one that's going to be important, um, you know, a year from now, two years, five years from now, 10 years from now, whether that's basketball, football, baseball. And the ones that I think um, – kind of may be thrown to the wayside. I want to roll into these, these other important ones. So, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. The last bullet you sent me says, uh, savvy hobbyists are trying to get out of cards that aren't important into cards that have historic hobby relevance. I think we've t- kind of touched on this earlier on, but it makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, I started saying this probably in the summertime or so that, you know, that, that, very generally the hobby's getting smarter but that's a that's too general of a term because the whole hobby isn't there's still people that aren't getting smarter and that's fine maybe eventually they will or won't but i think i think the people that you the word you start with savvy and it's so important right the savvy hobbyists are finding ways to cut losses because they've had some experience uh some experiences with some losses or some devalued cards so it's it's uh it makes sense to me that they're trying to understand what is important. Now, the word what's important is really that's up that's up to the someone said earlier that the hobby determines what the rookie card is. Yeah, I I got I'd have to dig into that one a bit more, but in this case, the hobby does determine what cards are important. It's really just the hobby that real that determines that. Of course, one of ones are a whole other, you know, a whole other ball of wax there, but as far as savvy hobbyists um, getting out of the unimportant and into the important, I think that's a, a, a pretty good trend. It makes sense. It's a logical trend that we're seeing. And then it puts the test to the card companies now to like, they need to really consider what is important, what isn't, and then how to seed it in their product. Make sure that it's not that the supply isn't too high because you want, because importance, I think, inherent and import inherent within importance to a degree not this isn't a rule so don't attack me but is rarity you know some some form of rarity is going to help with in terms of important i'm not saying the 89 griffy is not an important card even though there's 100,000 copies graded but you know that's important for other reasons scarcity is going to help with importance so how any any uh, elaboration you want to give to that point well you know you were talking about collectors being savvy and somebody i don't know if it was an official uh study they did but they were talking about the the collector mindset specifically with sports cards and i've found this in in people that i meet people that collect sports cards are normally really smart people i meet a lot of super smart collectors 
And I mean, some of these young guys that, that I was talking to today blow my mind. I'm like 18 years old and the way their minds work. And, and uh, a lot of them are way ahead of me, steps ahead. Um, I think at the end of the day, what you like, if you're in it for the hobby, you can determine the importance of it. So if you're a set collector and you want to get a complete set and in the, the commons all coming together, uh, end up making a set and the set is important to you, that that is important. If you're you're talking about appreciation and value, then it has to be something that other people appreciate and value. So there's uh, there's that aspect to it. So I, I think. Um, some of these young savvy collectors are kind of trying to weigh the room, weigh the hobby room and figure out what is it that, you know, kind of stands out, what cards, um, may they appeal to me, but they also appeal to, uh, you know, a, a wider group. And so there's a common consensus that this is a really cool card. This is important. I love, you know, when you have Adam Gray on and, and he, uh, kind of breaks down some of these, uh, these nineties cards and these Kobe's and he, he kind of, he'll talk about why, when it was issued and what the importance was. And, and to me, that's, that's super cool because cards are, are more than just the, the image. There's the history and, and why they took the, the photo. There's just so much behind them. So. I'm, I just, okay. Thanks. I just realized that for some reason, the comments coming from, Everywhere, YouTube, Facebook are not, I'm not seeing them. So I haven't seen a comment in uh, 20 minutes and I just kind of checked to see if it was just me, but it's, it's not, it is just, uh, just here in the, in the StreamYard uh, studio. So I do see, as I look on YouTube, that there are comments coming in. So to everyone who's left a comment in the last 20 minutes, haven't seen them and uh, apologize. There's really nothing I can do about that right now. I don't know what the problem is. So um, sorry to sorry about that. Um, okay, uh, I wanted to. There, I got distracted by that there, Sean. But there were a few things that I wanted to, to touch on. Can you go back to those, Jeremy? Can you see those comments? I can see them on my phone. I actually just kind of went on my phone to see if why I hadn't seen anything, and so I can see them. I see, I'm seeing a lot of. Ron, Ron Say is Say, S A Wise. I thank you to Skeppy for that. Uh, T Dot says, uh, Jay, where do you draw the line for hockey vintage year wise? I draw it in 1989. Um, let's see. Was uh, people asking, were there any, any, did you see any nice hockey at the Dallas show? Yeah, there was actually a lot of hockey. I talked to a, a couple big, I don't know if you saw, I think uh, Coleman Cards, I don't know a lot about hockey, but just sold a big gold, uh, a gold prism. I think it's, they, they say it's the, the best gold prism hockey card out there. Um, I didn't even know the player, but, um, it's probably Ovechkin or gotta be Ovechkin or Crosby from 2012. Yeah. I saw the card and it had a, a big price tag on it. I obviously don't know any of the details, but it, it caught my eye that a hockey card was that expensive. And so, um, yeah, I think hockey is, uh, there, there was some hockey stuff for sure. I, uh, okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, it's hard for me to, to check out the comments on the phone while we're doing this. So I'm, I'm just going to have to, uh, 
leave that alone for now. But uh, apologies to everybody uh, that is watching and in, in the chat. I don't know why I can't uh, read them right now. And so, but in any event, we're just going to, uh, we're going to continue. So hopefully you guys enjoy listening and, and, and uh, us not responding right now. I'll keep my eye on the phone actually, just, uh, just in case. But I wanted to talk about this with you because you and I, we love, well, you and I, we love it all, right? As I say, I collect 1888 to 2022 now. And, um, but vintage is, you know, I, it's, I, I say, I say vintage is where my heart really lies, but I love it all. Like I love cards. It's not true anymore. I love 90s. I love 2000s. I love 2010. So when it comes to vintage, which I do love, and you and I share a love for the vintage, condition is obviously very important when it comes to all cards, but I think even especially vintage. There's the the under, there's there's the four subgrades that we see on all the Beckett slabs. Obviously, you've got centering, surface, edges, and corners. And the hobby seems to really focus on centering is the 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 number one sub the most important subgrade i think they can i think the hobby generally considers corners to be second and then edges and surface kind of fall after that probably surface last but for me and i think for you too as we've discussed surface is like number one for me surface is the most important subgrade so i i would just again, on my on my notes i have the undervalued subgrade surface so let's talk about surface for a second when it comes to and not just vintage but all cards because when i when i'm looking to purchase a card and it's a it's an and let's say it's in a beckett slab my eyes first go to the surface grade because if i if i you know a bgs say it's a bgs nine and it's got three nines but the surface is a eight or an eight five however that's going to work i'm like ah you know that surface eight that means there's probably a scratch on it something that i'm not going to be able to take my eyes away from when i'm looking at it so i don't so i'm not going to really want to buy that copy i'd rather buy a copy that has a different subgrade that's lower and make sure the surface is is really up there now i'm not denying that centering is very important it is important to me too but surface i'd rather have a perfect surface on an off-centered card than a centered card with a bad surface. So to me, a surface is more important. Where yeah. do you fall when it comes to surface? Yeah, I'm I'm right in there too. So yeah, so I guess that'd be a good time to share my my pickup because, uh, uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll explain it as I uh, as I share. But so I've had this card before. Um, I really have since I let go of it. I've wanted another one. Um, I, I did have to let go of some some special cards to be able to get it. So I, I did get to pick up a 52 Mantle. And uh, one of the main things that sold me on it, as you can see, it's not perfectly centered left to right. But and this is not the best lighting, but the color on it is so rich, like it was pulled out of a pack. And the surface is amazing, which is very hard to find. It doesn't have any creases, a very uh, clean back. Um, but, uh, you know, when I'm looking at a lot of these, and I, I'm not in like the, I, I can't justify getting into to a mantle that's in a, a four or five or six. I just have to sell too much to be able to get there. And, and even then, I, I, they're just too high. Um, so I found one that uh, I, I just thought was awesome. This is a two. 
Um, but it doesn't have any creases, which is important to me. And it doesn't have any, you know, any of the kind of like you'll see white specks and just a, a beat up surface. And so for me, it was one that I, I really, man, I, I got super excited when I saw it. The guy that I got it from um, we is actually the guy that I sold my uh, my 52 to about a year ago. And, I, you know, after I did, I kind of regretted it. And uh, we've stayed in contact. He's a, a, a buddy of mine. And so we worked out a, a good deal. Um, that said, I when I first look at a card, I always look at centering first um, with a with a 52 mantle. You can make some exceptions because it's it's just it's the card. Um, but uh, but yeah, surface is is huge to me. And I normally I won't get anything with paper loss unless it's a I, I've made an exception. I'm not going to share what card it is. I just bought a card that's a PSA one. It's an old, very old card um, and it has some paper loss on it, but it's such a hard card to find. They never come up for sale. And so I was willing to kind of make a, an exception there. But other than that, yeah, I like the as close to an original pack color um, and yeah, surface is, is to me is very important, even with with uh, some of the more modern stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. OK, I'm looking at I mean, first of all, uh, congrats on the card. You know, for me, it's the same like surface is so much more than than just a crease. I don't actually mind a crease on a card if the if the color is bold and bright. If but the most important aspect of surface to me is is the registration. It's the focus. I don't want a blurry card. I yeah. don't want it. I I was I was looking at the um, the PWCC premier auction tonight and uh, or earlier today. There's an SGC five Willie Mays, 51 Bowman Willie Mays, a card I really want to acquire. I've never owned. I've always wanted one. I looked at it. First thing I noticed was that Willie's face is all blurry because the registration is very poor. Not even a consideration for me. I don't care. Okay, if I could steal it, I'd buy it. But that would only be to flip it to help fund the better copy. But, but not you know, I'm not going to put too much energy into that. So for me, surface, you know, it's it's the it's the registration, it's the color, it's the you know, is the gloss still on the card? Um, of course, creases, wrinkles, any other scuffs. I don't like scuffs where your eyes are just going to be drawn towards it. Even um, printing marks like a, a fisheye or any sort of printing flaw. If it's if it's minor, I'm okay. But if it's something that I'm always gonna, like always going to look at, the 51 Bowman Maze is notorious for having this kind of line going through it that for whatever reason. Or you'll see a big fisheye in the name bar. I don't want that because I'm going to look at the name bar a lot. I don't want to. My eyes are going to go straight to that thing. And go ah damn. I should have bought a copy that didn't have it. So to me, when we talk, because we talk about eye appeal so much in the hobby and eye appeal, people usually think is just centering, but it's so much more than just centering. Yeah. It's the, it's the, sur the surface is so important as well, as well as corners and edges. They're all important. I'm not denying that or saying otherwise, but for me, I see in the comments, someone says um, that uh, it's all subjective. Corners are big too, or, uh, Oh, once again, that is subjective because corners are big too. Well, <laughs> corners are big. They're all big. All the subgrades are big. They're all part of the construction of the card. But I don't mind rounded corners, a PSA three or four with sort of rounded corners on a card from the, you know, the 
up until the 50s, I'd way rather have rounded corners than a blurry surface. Like I rounded corners to me are organic and natural and they show that the card was loved. To me, I I like that. I like a bit of a rounded corner. You know, if I'm if I'm if if the if the, if the if if the card that I can afford is in that grade range where you might have rounded corners, I'm I'm okay with rounded corners. So to me, not nearly as important as uh as the surface. So like this this card right here, look how rounded these corners are, Jeremy. They're beautiful. Um, and this actually the I, the funny thing about this is it got an altered. I bought this at a local card shop in Kansas City, and him and I, the, the card dealer, we looked over this card. Um, and the only thing we can determine is someone actually, uh, intentionally like a kid rounded the corners to make them all look the same. And PSA saw that as, you know, somebody altering it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. It, as long as the card has good color and, and an and image, but you know, yeah, it all matters but everybody's got a little bit different taste and that's what makes the hobby cool. So, yeah, we yeah. all like different things toy. And you know, as I think it was teed out the mid the con. Yeah, it is subjective and that's, what's beautiful about the hobby. But I saw those corners, Sean, I think they're beautiful just the way they are, you know, especially in that slab, how, what, what that card is, is worth what you had to pay for it or give up to acquire it compared to if it was a PSA six or higher with nice sharp corners. I mean, I, I love that card. I've got no problem. I would add that to my collection in, in a heartbeat. Now I don't like the altered state, but but or the altered um, uh, assignment or, or assessment. I don't I don't love that. I'd rather it be a PSA two, but yeah, whatever. Right. In any event, I still think it's a it's a great great card. And those corners were uniformly worn, which is nice. So it doesn't it the the symmetry isn't off, which is important as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that wouldn't look good on like an 86 Fleer MJ, but on, on an old card that, you know, is almost a hundred years old. Um, yeah. It adds character and it, it adds a story. And these cards were, were, you know, you talk about old, old stuff. I mean, back in the day, you know, now we open a pack of cards with gloves on <laughs> and then we put them straight in. We shake our hands shaking. We put them into a penny sleeve and then into a top loader. Then we send them directly to PSA um, to where, yeah, a, a, a nine and a 10 is like a, a big, a big difference. Um, yeah. Back in the day, man, they were putting them in bike spokes and they were, you put them in their binders and in their lunch boxes and their backpacks and um, you know, putting them all together with uh with rubber bands and um i think of all the 52 mantles and all these special cards that just sat in shoe boxes they didn't have penny sleeves back then so they just sat you know in boxes with a bunch of other cards and so that's when when you look at some of these cards that have are the really high grade that you're like how did that make it this long you know, and still have sharp corners and still have a solid surface when kids were throwing these around and they were, you know, leaving them out and <laughs> out their backyard or wherever. Um, th that to me is, is really cool to think, how did this thing make it this long? And, and that, so, so it's, it's interesting to say, how did it make it this long and stay in such good condition, which is, which is kind of cool that it did. 
But on at the same time, I also like the card that got passed from kid to kid and makes it to me 80 years later and isn't perfect. That is that's a wonderful holding as well. I'm going to I'm going to read some comments. I I can't bring them on the screen, unfortunately, but uh, but um, I'm going to read some just off of my phone here. So Game Time Gallery said, uh, I'm with you, Jeremy. Print registration and color is most important to me, especially important in 51 Bowman's. Yeah, definitely agree. Mark Santucci says 75 cards, 1975 cards have fish eyes. I see them on lots of cards from lots of years. The Dr. J rookie notoriously has one just to the right of his body uh, on the lower part of the yellow of the card. Second year Bobby Orr Topps card has one most of the time. The 51 Bowman Willie Mays. Lots of cards have them. Gretzky rookies have them as well. Um, Salty Dog said, I like my vintage a little worn. God, I love vintage. I love that comment right there, Salty Dog. Welcome to the show. I, I'm gonna, I like my vintage a little worn. God, I love vintage, right? I can, I can hear the passion in the comment. Backyard Breaks Fanboy says, I agree the Jim Brown rookies have a lot of poor surfaces preventing me from buying one. Great example. I own a Jim Brown. I have a PSA 7. I waited a long time to find one that had good focus. So um, agree with that. Birds on the Bat said, when the corners are evenly rounded, the card just feels balanced. The same was when, the same was as when they're sharp. Yes, exactly. Uh, when any one corner is a lot more damaged than the rest, it stands out. Yeah, I agree. Just like, just like that's kind of the same thing as centering, right? It throws off the symmetry. Humans yep. have been proven to really value and be attracted to symmetry. Uh, Jake Dahl says, I like vintage that I can afford. Fair comment. TB12 says, I've been collecting signed rookie cards of players like Barry Sanders, John Elway, in the highest grade possible. That's a awesome. fun thing to collect for sure. TDOT says, you are conflating condition of the surface with niceness of the image. Uh, no, no, I'm not. I wasn't conflating that TDOT. Uh, I, I, I recognize that they're, they're two different things. Josh says, I don't mind what PSA says is altered one bit. Altered modern cards are ruined, but PSA telling me that is the last thing I'd care to listen to. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it depends, though. It might be altered. So just because we don't care or want to listen is sort of exclusive from the fact that it still might be altered, right? And and they're trained to, to detect that. So yeah. in any event. Um, and then... Uh, Sekron, welcome to the show, says, I also collect first edition books and the wear on them is its own unique story. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Like that That to me is, it's just because we can imagine, we can, in our head, we can kind of make up a story of where this card was. Like I have this, I have this vision of these kids sitting at, sitting at recess at school, you know, playing, just the cards are on the, on the concrete basketball court wherever and they're sitting there they're just trading cards they don't care about the condition they lay them all out on the ground and they just do the trades and here we are 70 years later whatever it is and here we are uh in 2022 and we are we are cherishing these things that they did not ch they cherished them but they didn't there was no value associated to them really very little value it was just about having the player you liked and uh, and completing your set, and having fun with these cards. So remember, Jeremy. Remember in in the Sandlot movie when they're up and they're they're talking about uh, uh, how to make a s'more. And you can see in the background there's a bunch of 1954 tops that are there. They've got them pinned yeah. in the, the treehouse there. 
I, my mind always goes back to that. I think about how when you see one of these pinholes, it just adds history to it. There was a card I, I was looking at. It was a Babe Ruth card today. It was a PSA one with a mark, PSA one MK. Um, it had uh, where they wrote his, I think, what did they, they wrote his, um, the date that he died on the back of the card in pencil. Uh, but then on the front of the card, it had uh, those little um, things in each of the corners where someone would have put it, glued it into like a binder or, you know, adhered it to something and they look really old. Th those are probably, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old. And I think, yeah, um, I, I was telling a young guy the other day that a PSA one with a pinhole might be better for your collection than a six or seven because it's, or, or even a, you know, a five, I don't know. It depends on the card. It's like, maybe let me, let me go buy a couple before we tell everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, because that's a way to be able to get some some special cards and not have to, you know, and be able to then go get some other cards, too, yeah. and not break the bank totally. And uh, yeah, man, I, I think there there may be a case for the uh, revitalization of the PSA one. So I, I am with you 100 percent. I was thinking about it just even before you said it, I was thinking to myself, you know, a pinhole just kills the grade like i don't know if a, if a card with a hole through it can be anything higher than a one i don't i don't i'd have to check if it can't so you're right i would take a 52 tops mickey mantle that looks like a six or a seven all day long but has a pinhole through it gimme 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 like for the price i'd have to pay probably a premium over most psa ones because the eye appeal is just so much nicer or something yeah than the typical average psa one i would take that all day long the pinhole is very, sometimes you can't even tell there's a pinhole. Sometimes the, the paper has kind of filled it out, but there still was a pinhole there. It's detectable. Or it's like, if you hold it up to the light, you can kind of see light shining through that little bit, but it's not, it's not like a, a clear hole through it. Give me those cards all day long. If they're very nice. Otherwise, I mean, that's a great card to have. Yeah. Well, look, like look, this one here, Jeremy, this is a, this is a card like this 38 DiMaggio is a one. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's a really clean card. Um, but it's got like a little kind of light crease along the back here that you can't really see unless you're you're up really close. But like for, for a card like this, I like this card and I really appreciate this card. But I don't love it so much that I want it to be the centerpiece of my collection. But I... I want it to be in my collection. So a one makes sense to me where this card in a higher grade, it's just more of a stretch. And it's like, hey, I still get to experience this card and love this card uh, and have it in my collection. And it's a one. And I, I don't I don't need to have a, anything more than that. So now, now that specific DiMaggio, you know, he's got two cards in that set, two, number 250, number 279. Yeah. You've got the 250 in your hand, which doesn't have the graffiti or those doodles in the background. That's the copy I own too. I had to make that choice when I decided I was adding a DiMaggio. Do I what which which card do I want? 250 or 279? I went with 250 because I like the cleanliness of it. I see you have the same card. Did you make a similar decision or was that or were you indifferent? Um, I, I like them both. You know, the the one with the clean background is the more rare uh of the two. Um, I do like the comic look to to it too. Um this just happened, this one came up. 
and I love them both. And so I ended up getting it, but, um, I, I like the, the, the look of the other one too. So, um, I, I don't know if, if you put them side by side, if I would pick one over the other, um, one's got the rarity and the clean, the clean look. And then the other one's got the kind of the comic background. And I think that's cool too. I like them both. I love the, the, uh, the, this was before Photoshop where they, you know, they cropped a head on this little cartoon body. Um, I love it. It's a cool card, man. Yeah, it really is. It, 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 it's such a cool card. I love it, man. I mean, I've, when I started doing my, my vintage baseball hall of fame collection, uh, that was one of the first cards that I, that I targeted. Um, I think I bought that at the Cleveland expo in like 2013 or something like that. And love, love, love my, my copy of that card. Um, I'm going to read a comment here. Uh, Skeppy made this comment. This, this is a, this could be a whole episode in and of itself, but it makes a comment. It makes you wonder if cards became completely worthless, who would still truly be happy with their collection? Now, I'm going to go, I'm going to just take a stab at this, okay? Because I think about myself and my collection. I've, you know, if my cards became worthless, I'm not going to lie, I'd be devastated. I'd be devastated that my cards went from being worth X to being worth zero. Yeah. I'm not going to be too pleased about it. Am I still going to like the cards? Yeah, I'm still going to like the cards but I'm going to feel a financial loss because I can't help, but the fact that my cards have financial value. So, so um, the, the comment is who would still truly be happy with their collection. It'd be a, it'd be sort of a, I, I'd, I'd still enjoy the cards, but I'd be less happy than I am now. You know, if they became worthless, where do you stand? I'm in the same place. You know, I, I really I, I, ha, I find it hard to believe when someone says I don't care at all about the value of my card because people need to make smart invest or not. You don't even need to make the use the word investment, but smart financial decisions. And so, um, yeah, I, I think everyone cares about the value of their collection. There are certain cards where. Um, like my 89 Griffey that I keep, you know, it, it's worth, I don't know, it's worth a hundred bucks. And if that card went to, to zero, um, I, I would still keep it uh, and it wouldn't bother me at all. But if the 52 mantle went to zero, yeah, I would be really upset, um, because I have more money tied into it, but it's also, it, it means a lot of times it means more to you. And that's why you're willing to, to spend that extra, you know, money, but yeah, I think even, you know, I know Nat Turner has said over and over again that if all his cards went to zero, he would be fine with that. Um, I think uh, he's a, a big time collector, but I, I think at the end of the day, if, you know, his green PMG MJ went to zero, I think he probably would be a little bit upset about that. Um, that's a big, that's a lot of money. And, and even for a guy that has a lot of money, um, he still wants to make wise financial decisions. So yeah, hopefully that makes sense. I think, I think you're right. I mean, if your collections, it, it all comes, it's all relative, depends what's, what significant uh, financial uh, resources, what, what that is to you. It's going to be different for everybody. No one, no one has the same, well, it just depends, right? What, what, what is a lot of money to you? So I do have cards that I paid five, 10, 20 bucks for, cause I like the look of them. If they go down to zero, I'm not going to really bat an eye, but if I have a card that's worth, you know, five figures and up and it goes down to zero, well, 
I'm going to bat an eye. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to be less happy because I'm going to realize that I could have sold that card, taken that money and put it to the future benefit of my family. And now with that option's gone. And that's why I'm going to be less happy. Do I still like the card? Sure. But I might have a bit of spite towards it too, because yeah. at the same time, I could have sold it and to the benefit of my family and now I can't anymore. So, um, okay. Another comment I'm going to read here. Uh, first of all, hello to Dave Kaplan. Thanks for joining. Uh, Rich uh, S. Bangayan says, I have a bit of a mixed philosophy. Raw vintage cards, I like some wear. But if I'm paying a premium for a graded copy, I personally like it to be as close to how the card company originally intended it to be. Yeah, that makes good sense to me. Um, he then goes on. Also, there's 80 people watching. Let's hit the like button. So, yes, please, guys, hit the like button. And I'll also... If you're if you haven't heard me say it yet, uh, there is a new sports cards live channel, guys. Believe it or not, a new sports cards live channel on YouTube called Sports Cards Live Clips, and so uh, we are actually scouring these videos and picking out like one or two per show and dropping one short video a day. So uh, if you don't get to watch all the all the episodes and you want to see a few highlights, please subscribe to the channel. The the link to it is in the description to this video. I believe I put it there. So please go. Uh, I'd appreciate your support if you go uh, subscribe to that one. And uh, let's build that one out a little bit. So thank you for that. Okay. So thank you for that comment, Rich. Um, Pepino Man says, I, <laughs> Pepino Man's hilarious. says, I purposely put a pinhole in a perfect condition, Arenado rookie, to send off to PSA. I wanted a grade one and heard it was a guaranteed grade of one, which I believe someone else has already mentioned that that does guarantee a one. Uh, Birds on the Bat says, on the flip side, people willing to buy cards like PSA 8 Bo Bichette rookies, uh, GMA 10 Jordan Alvarez rookies, cards that will almost surely never be worth anything. Okay. Uh, Colin Murray says, only collectors that grade cards care about value. I don't know if I... I actually disagree with that fundamentally because uh, because... Only collectors the grade card. I'm a collector that has several ungraded cards, and I still care about value. So I just think that there's too many holes in that comment, uh, Colin Murray. Birds on the Bat says that's essentially spending money completely divorced from investment. So I'm not sure the context. International Borders, welcome to the show, says, if my cards went to zero, I wouldn't care. Never started in it for money. I collect for the love of it. So I'd have to ask, I mean, I have to ask on a comment like that to International Borders, what is your collection worth? Is it worth $1,000 or $100,000 or somewhere in between? If it's worth $1,000, I get it. $1,000, not that much money today, right? hundred grand, a lot of money. So it really depends. Now, if International Borders has a net worth of $10 million and his collection is worth hundred grand, then who cares? Sure, it's a drop in the bucket. But if International Borders' net worth is... $100,000 and his collections were 10 grand, you're going to care if it goes down to zero. You're, you're, I think you're fooling yourself if you don't think so. Or you just have no respect for the value of a dollar, maybe, or, or the opportunity cost and what a dollar can buy you in terms of sustenance and providing for your family. Or you don't have a family. If you don't have a family, it's a, it's a whole other story in a lot of cases, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't have a family, yeah, I think that's a, that's a big distinction between different collectors. Right. If you have no one to leave your, your estate to, right, then who yeah. really cares? Then you don't have to care. Yeah. But but if you have a family and you have res- and you have financial responsibilities, you're not going to feel the same way. I just can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that I 
you know, you, you hear of people talking about their coffin cards. And I, I don't know if you and I have talked about this before, but I, I tell people, I'm like, man, don't don't bury that card with you in a, in a coffin and let your your body decay on that, you know, that on that beautiful PSA slab. Give it a even if you don't have family that you can pass it to or someone that, you know, you care about, you know, give that to a charity, someone that it can help. Uh, I don't think it does any good to, to bury. <laughs> okay. If it's like a, if it's nineties, nineties era junk wax, go ahead. Um, bury it. But uh, yeah, if it's got value, um, I think it's, it, if you can help someone else, it's better not to, to be buried with your, your coffin card. And I, yeah. Buried, buried with a reprint. That's what you Here do. You go. <laughs> with a reprint, have somebody put, do a fake PSA slap. And you get buried with with that, and then sell, give your other one to charity or or a loved one. Charity, there's a great idea. There's lots of people who could use your card. Now the term, now I mean, you're taking the term coffin card quite literally there. Right. My understanding has always been you're just you're probably never going to sell it, you know. And then whatever your family does with it after, who cares? I'm dead. They'll do what they're going to do. But as long as I'm alive, I want that on my. I'd call it the deathbed card. I want certain cards with me on my deathbed. You know, as I'm in geriatric care, whatever, so that I can enjoy my cards and they'll remind me of the good old days when I was young. And uh, and then my family can uh, can sell them and, and do whatever they want to do with it. So that's pretty funny stuff. Um, OK, I'm going to go to a couple more comments here. Uh, OK, where, where did I leave off? Salty Dog said, value is important. I never thought about that before. I love my PC and the history of my cards. They'll always be symbolic and pieces of art and history to me, though. Yeah, bang on, 100%. Big Unit says, my Todd Van Poppel collection from when I was a kid did go to zero. Now I light my wood stove with them. I Todd Van Poppel, what was his name? Uh, there was an Erickson on the, for the Minnesota Twins back then. And yeah. Brian yeah. Erickson, what was his name? Scott Erickson. Scott Erickson. I remember blowing up on his cards. Witten. There was a guy named Witten. I remember buying his cards. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Uh, okay. T Dot says, I care about value and only bought graded cards and never graded one. International Border says his collection's worth 50 to 75K. Okay. You answered. Yeah. So if 50 to 75K doesn't mean much to you, then I guess you don't have to care if it goes down to zero. It's, you know, it just, it depends. You know, it just depends on what how significant that amount of money is for you pepino man says i personally hate when people tell me how much my cards are worth fair skeppy says i have commented with this before all collectors are investors but not all investors are collectors yeah i i subscribe to that but there are a few collectors out there like i, I always do this right you got investors here collectors here we're all somewhere in between very few people are at either extreme end, but there are some. I do believe there are some. I, well, there's more on the investor extreme, I would say. Uh, I'm not going to make that distinction. I'm not going to say that, actually. I'm, Hear me I don't know how many there are. I'm thinking about this. Okay, so if someone doesn't care if their cards go to zero, then do they buy their cards at market value? So this is what I'm thinking. So if you don't care if your card goes to zero, do you shop around on, on eBay, wherever you purchase your cards? And do you, so, so say you're a Todd Van Poppel collector. You love Todd Van Poppel. If you don't care what the value is, do you buy your, your Van Poppel 
that's really a, a $2 card, are you willing to pay 12, 13, or do you shop around to find one that's fair value? If you shop around to find one that's fair value, then you actually are concerned with the value of your card. And so it going to zero, I would think you would you would care about that if on the front end you are buying your card at a, a market value. Now, if you just say, hey, man, I, I want an 89 Upper Deck Griffey. And we all know that people list things. You'll see an 89 Upper Deck Griffey, a PSA 8 or a, you know, a 1991 Skybox MJ uh, that some guy has. for It's a PSA 8 and it's it's like a $10 card and someone will list it for $15,000. You love that card so much that you'll pay $15,000 for it? No, you care about your your money and you're going to you want you're going to shop around until you find one that's actually a fair market value. Unless you're doing that on the front end, it's hard to believe that you don't care on the back end. That's just what what I'd say. You make you that's a great a great kind of counterpoint, right? Is that is what what are you doing at the point of purchase exactly if you don't care what your cards are worth then why don't you overpay do you not overpay then you do care what your cards are worth because you want to spend more than they're worth so maybe you do care more than you're allowing yourself to think you do i don't know it's psychology can't get into someone's head uh, perfectly so there's lots of uh lots of ways to look at it i suppose but it's an interesting discussion for sure i do enjoy the discussion uh, Rich says, good point about the percentage of your portfolio that your collection is. If it is a large part, then you should care. Salty Dog says, charity is a good idea if you don't have a family to leave the PC to. Yeah, for sure. Backyard Breaks Fanboy says, modern day guy who burned me big. Oh, who burned me is Jason Hayward. I invested heavy in him. Josh says, being buried with a card, strange. Yeah. Brad31 says, if cards go down to one one hundredth of where they are, I am thrilled. I can start collecting pre-war as long as my want list is longer than my have list. A downturn is welcome. Yeah, fair, fair approach. Uh, Colin Marie says, no KSA, though, on the deathbed, LOL. Josh brings up Brian Taylor. I remember I remember when the Brian Taylor upper deck game card came out. Andy Van Slyke, but he was, in, he was older. He was in Donruss and all that. Sekron says most of my cards are worth 80% of what they cost to ship. <laughs> Josh says, honestly, don't care if my card goes to zero. I'd be interested. Josh, know what card you own. Skeppy says, um, yes, a good example. Sean agrees with what you were saying. Josh doesn't care for his PC stuff. Rich says, interesting question. I know there are some cards in my collection I grossly overpaid for. To resell, even in the boom, I would not make my money back. Yeah. Lots of people do overpay for sure. Dallas Mooney says, collector, investor, it doesn't matter. A healthy price is the sign of a healthy market, and that benefits everybody. I I agree with the second part there, Dallas Mooney. I don't understand where you say collector or investor, it doesn't matter. I don't understand that comment, but love for you to clarify. Rich says, I guess there's a balance of this, because if you save money, you can buy more stuff. And then Josh says, honest question, Jeremy. If your 1314 National Treasures jersey number patches, I'm impressed that you know I have those, Josh, all went to zero, and that's all you collected, you probably would not care. A lot of people are in that boat. Oh, that's an interesting take. That's an interesting take. Would I care? Maybe not, because I don't have a ton of money in them. So yeah. I probably wouldn't care. That's And, and this is the... This is the part, like, I didn't pay a lot for those cards, you know? Some I paid a couple hundred bucks for, but it really comes down to what's significant to you. But let's say I'm into that collection for 5000 bucks, 
and it goes down to zero, not going to change my life a bit. I, I can take a $5,000 loss, but somebody else might not be able to take that $5,000 loss. So those same cards to someone else might be, uh, might be a whole different thing. Anything yeah. you want to add, Sean? Well, what you, you know, what you brought up is, is what are your other responsibilities and who else is, is relying on you financially? Do you have a wife and kids? And um, so I think there's a lot of other factors to, to think of. And so most of the guys I know that collect that have families are trying to be very conscious, even the ones, some of the most successful, you know, financially well off people that I know are um, that that could just completely, you know, they they uh, just a small fraction of their net worth is in cards. They still uh, they still care about, you know, what they what they spend, because if they're if they're not being wise with their finances, then um, it can affect your family. You know, it can affect the future. And, and um, so, yeah, I think it's just it's smart to um, to do your due diligence when you're you're buying stuff. You don't want to buy stuff that you don't want some scalper, you know, getting you on a card and um, and nobody wants their stuff to go to zero. Uh, and but, yeah, some stuff could and, and you'd be fine with it and other things. Yeah, that I've put money into, I don't want them to go to zero. Uh, exactly. But, you know, as it's yeah. simple that. <laughs> like, so when 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 uh, when when uh, Josh asked about my my national treasures collection, I collect those. Those are the those are not. I don't consider those like investment type cards. Now I've said it before. I'll say it forever. Whenever I'm spending a significant amount of money on a card, I have to consider the investability of the card or the future value of that card. So if that because that's money that's being taken away from my family to use in the immediate near term for a vacation or whatever. Right now, if a card again, it just comes down. It's relative on value and all that. And I have I have those cards. I also have my more collector cards. I'm you know the collector. Uh, investor spectrum. I fall at all points on that. I, I'm everywhere on there, right? Yeah. I think a lot of us are at different points for different cards that, that we have in our collection. A um, couple comments, a couple more comments here. Uh, Sekron says, I care about the value of my cards in the context that I want them to be worth more to me than what the market says they're worth. That's when I enjoy the card the most. Yeah, that's pretty cool because you, you have that inherent um, incremental value that you place on the card, which is a very cool uh, position to be in. Tito says, what about the old doctor that just passed and, and paid boatloads of cards he never sold? Um, so you're talking, yeah, Dr. Newman was his name and he sold his his collection through auction. I bought one. I, I personally went through that and I bought one of his cards because I thought it'd be pretty cool. I thought that was a great collection. I liked the provenance of that collection and I bought one of his cards. So I know exactly what you're talking about there. Uh, T dot salty dog says, I know I've overpaid quite a few times for sure. I think we all have Alan Gagne says, if you only had a thousand dollars, would you rather have $1,000 cards or $1,001 cards? Yeah. I'm, I'll take the $1,000 cards. How about you? Well, I, Oh, uh, between uh $1,000 cards and one, 1,000. No, $1,001 cards. One thousand one dollar. I probably have one thousand. I probably have ten thousand one dollar cards, or f maybe ten cent cards. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know what I, I was I was thinking is, you know, it seems like 
the guys that disassociate the value because they love the card so much, but have good taste in cards are always the ones that do really well down the road. I remember seeing a story of a guy who collected, um, what did he collect? He was an old guy, just passed away not long ago. And he had a, like a, it was a Babe Ruth. It was like all the 33 Gaudi Ruths that were autographed and they found them after he passed away. He had tons of stuff and he could have sold it through the years as that, as it just exponentially kept going up and up and up. He never got to see the sale because he passed away and his kids got to see it. But that guy loved those cards so much that he, the value was obviously he didn't associate, he wanted the card more than he wanted the money. Uh, so, but he was also, he was picking pretty good cards. It wasn't like he was, you know, collecting some no name guy, uh, but he bought it when it was, uh, that's, that it always kind of blows my mind when a guy has a card that goes up exponentially. And I know like Adam Gray, I think would have this, this kind of story. You probably got this story and some stuff. And, um, I'm always pretty fascinated when someone has a card that starts off as a thousand dollar card. They see it go to two, they see it go to four, they see it go to eight, then it jumps to 20. And then, I mean, then there's cards that are a hundred thousand dollars that guys are in it like 2000 bucks. That's amazing to me when, when guys can hold that shows like, man, you really, <laughs> you love this thing. Like it, it means more to you than, than what I can't remember who said this, but that what the market is is telling you at the time so are you seeing are you seeing the comments i can't see no i can't see anything uh okay it's yeah it stopped about an hour or so ago yeah yeah you're right you're right about an hour ago okay i'll read a couple more and we'll we'll wrap up soon we're, we're at two hours here how are you doing for time though sean yeah, i'm good yeah we'll get a couple more minutes be good okay sounds good sounds good so Josh says, if it's an investment type card, everyone should, does care if it goes to zero. I agree with that. Uh, Backyard Breaks fanboy says, I'm a collector, but these cards will always be considered an investment since it's potential life-changing money if they inherit it. If they are your kids, then yeah, that makes sense. Pepino Man says, and I never know when I haven't read the, I haven't read this yet, so I'm going to read this and for the first time with you. Let's see, let's see what Pepino Man has to say. Okay, how's he waiting? He says, I've told my kids... I'm not leaving them any of my cards because they don't collect. I've never sold a card in my life, but plan to sell them when I'm retired just to put them back into collector's hands. Oh, that's a great comment. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great plan, Pepino. I love it. Birds on the Bat says, yep, well said, Jeremy. Well, thank you, Birds on the Bat. That's why I was happy to pay $2,900 for my Albert Pujols traded PSA 10 and not a LaMelo Ball or Joe Burrow. There's a lot of money for me. That's a lot of money, and I can't risk it goes to zero. Yeah, so you bought a smart card. Way to go, birds on the bat. Brad31 says that that was uh, the Uncle Jimmy collection with the signed Babe Ruths. That's right, yeah. Alexander Parfenov says, was negotiating for a signed 1970 Maravich rookie today. The guy was into it for less than 500 wouldn't even respond to a $15,000 offer, took 30 k just to get his thoughts on it. Interesting. Well, but just because here's another thing, you know, just because you're into a card for a thousand dollars doesn't mean you, you know, and and you feel it might be worth nine doesn't mean you got to sell it for five or fifty five hundred dollars. What you paid for it is irrelevant. It's yeah. what where's the market today? Where's yeah. the market today? 
Backyard Breaks fanboy says, I wish Jimmy was my uncle. And T. Dot Jones says, the intrinsic value is always baked in. Not really, T. Dot. Not really. The intrinsic value, certain things are baked in. If, if the whole hobby is baking it in, it's because it's because they're expected to win a Super Bowl or beat or or beat the three point record or be a goat or beat Gretzky's goal record, whatever it may be. But the intrinsic value can sometimes be on a very personal level, in which case it's not baked in on the market value. It's baked in on your personal value. And if that's what you meant, T dot, then I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. And backyard break says birds on the bat is smart. Only buy only stuff I buy modern are the goat parallels like gold, so that that way the card will still hold some value. And that comes out to what we were talking about earlier was trying to figure out and stay ahead of the curve in terms of what cards coming out today are important or are going to be important down the road. Yeah. Fun stuff. Fun, yeah, fun it, stuff. There will be different years of certain players that, you know, where you think of like Giannis and uh, a Giannis gold. And I, I don't, I actually don't have my Giannis golds anymore. Um, but like there will be certain years within a player's career that are more important, like a year that he won a championship 10 years from now, I would think would probably be a little bit more important than a different year. Um, and some, it doesn't always go like that, but, uh, I, I do think, uh, there are cards that stand out and those are the ones that, um, you want to kind of focus on. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Sekron says, awesome stream guys. Really appreciate that. We appreciate everybody tuning in tonight with Sean and, and earlier with Tim, if you are new to sports cards live, please subscribe to the channel. Back every Saturday with these live interviews with various content creators, passionate collectors, industry insiders. I bring them all. So uh, definitely come back. And uh, as is on the ticker right now, Sports Cards Live Clips, a second channel we just launched about a week or so ago. Um, check it out. Hit us. I'm trying to build that one up to kind of bring more attention because these videos are long. We're already at over two hours here. So it's sometimes hard to get people to click on them. But by launching this short clips channel which was not my idea to be honest someone came to me with the idea i said yeah let's do it uh i think it's a great way to help build the audience and bring more people into to these discussions and just trying to introduce more and more people to you guys to the sports cards live audience which i greatly appreciate and so uh yeah let's build that one up so go go if you don't mind go subscribe to that one and uh, make sure you subscribe to this one and i appreciate everybody who's joined us tonight Thank you, Mark Santucci. I see your comment. Rich, I see yours. Thank you so much. Rich says, best thing about the hobby, there is no right or wrong way to collect, and there's something for everybody. Preach, Rich. Preach. That is exactly right. Sekron says, hope you guys make it to the Dallas show sometime. Well, you're there right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was there today. I won't. I, I'm, I'm done at the show, but I was there the last couple of days. Right on. I'm going to get there one day. I promise. If you keep up, keep hanging out with us here, Sekron. I'll be talking about it. I'll let you know I'm there. I'd love to, uh, you know, have a fist pump and say hello. Thank you, Mark Santucci. Thank you, Skeppy. Appreciate you thanking. He's saying thanks, Sean, which you can't see. But I always like when the chat thanks the guest and pays their compliments. Salty Dog says, great show, guys. Can't wait for the next one. Thank you, T-Dop. You bet. Thanks for joining. I think we're good. Hey, Sean, anything, any last comments? Anything else you want to mention? This was fun jeremy i appreciate it man i appreciate your role that you play in the hobby and man i I think about how years ago 
when you were just a Lone Star collector, try you know, buying cards and nobody really to share it with and maybe a couple guys locally and, and then you, you get a family and it's hard to be able to, uh, you know, find other people to share with. Um, Instagram and YouTube has been awesome, man. And, and so you're you're just helping foster that. And, and I appreciate you in, in this show, man. So thanks for having me on. I, it's been you awesome. Bet. I appreciate those very kind words. And uh, and guys, make sure you're following Sean on IG at Victory Investments. Great, great content on there and very educational. I look forward to your next card profile, Sean. I know that you put a lot of work so you don't pump them out. But when you do, I mean, the guy, you must spend hours on some of your posts. I mean, it's really great stuff. So keep that up. Appreciate what you do. Uh, you're, you're just a great hobbyist overall. But enough of the love fest. I'm going to read the final comments that are that are uh, coming in, and then we're going to end it. So I want to say uh, Purple Haze, thank you very much. Says great show. Sekron says must have missed you, but next time. Thank you, Sekron. Birds on the bat said thank you. Backyard Breaks Fanboy says, best podcast on YouTube. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Birds on the Bat. Purple Haze. Backyard says, Jeremy is the goat in podcasts like Backyard Breaks is the goat in breaking. Thank you, uh, Backyard Breaks Fanboy. And Pepino Man says, love the hobby people. Great chat. Thanks, Pepino Man. Always love seeing you in the chat as well as everybody else, guys. Thanks for joining. I will be live tomorrow, 7 o'clock Eastern, on the Collectible TV YouTube channel, talking just another interview with a great collector named Todd Poland, good friend of mine. Check it out. Come join us there. That's it, Sean. Hang tight one second. Everybody else, if I don't see you tomorrow there, which I hope to, have a great week ahead. We'll see you next Saturday, same time, same place. Have a good week. Thanks for joining. Goodbye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.